G'day, citizens of the people's game, and welcome to the COVID Chronicles presented by Sporting Chance magazine. Despite being in the middle of a global pandemic, footy's evergreen debate is raging as strong as ever. What can be done about the state of the game? Those in the media will tell us that we need to go back to the good old days of knockabout blokes and pack marks. But was footy really better in the old days? In today's episode, it was acceptable in the 70s. JB and I rewatched the 1978 Round 7 clash between St Kilda and Essendon and Maravanoval to see what all the fuss is about footy back in the old days. Well, tempers were flaring between the Dons and the Saints during and after a rough and ready clash at Moorabbin in Round 7, 1978. With a young Tim Watson flying about with a mop of long hair and Rex Hunt entering his twilight years, there was no shortage of star power on display in what was a close-run thing. But given it was a game played in a glue pot with low-quality coverage by modern standards, does it actually make for good modern re-watching? To kick us off, Gordon, I'm going to get you to give us the one-minute wrap of this 1978 Round 7 clash. In a game befitting the doldrums of a soggy suburban Melbourne winter, and one that contained everything that 1970s footy had to offer. Strange fashion senses, zero tactics, lots of throwing the ball in the boot, and even more throwing your weight around. There was about as much violence as there were goal kicked. The most notable was St Kilda's Hardman, Carl Dekerich, Boshing bomber over Terry Cahill, who stopped breathing when he swallowed his tongue. He was revived, luckily, and survived. The status of a St Kilda trainer, however, is still unknown. Back to the footy, and the goals flowed for the first three quarters, with St Kilda running away after a seven-goal to three third term. And then the rain came in, and St Kilda's cue then went into the rack. As Vandermar led the bombers' resurgence, but it was all too little, too late. A classic 1970s scoreline of the St Kilda, 17-11-113, defeated Essendon 16-11-107 in front of a nostalgia-conducing 30,000-plus at Moravon Park. So we picked this. I really picked this. because Why'd this, you pick this? I simply picked this because it was the oldest game on KO that wasn't a grand final. Okay. So when KO have like their classics, yes. there's like the 1970s, and there's one home and away match, and this is it. Yeah. And then there's the 1980s and the 1990s and the 1920s, yeah. you know, whatever. And then you get into the 2000s, and there's like, once you get past 1990, there's a lot of options. Yes. So I was like, oh, we've just, um, I wanted to find a really old game, partly because it flows on nicely from the chat we had about 89, mm-hmm. being able to compare. This is 11 years earlier. So there was that angle. Part of it was, I just want to go watch footy from the 70s and like get a gauge on what that was like. Because that's really the earliest that you can easily get a gauge. So you, there's television in the 60s and the grand finals with various limitations on the camera about angles that are available. So when you go back to the 70s, yeah, it was mostly what was that like? What was the suburban vibe like? What was footy like? How different were the 70s from the 80s? And what do you make of the player of or the career of a player like Tim Watson who played through the 70s, the 80s and into the 90s? Because just I was looking at him in this game, which really kind of opened a can of worms in my brain. Because like, has anyone in their own career seen the game change as much across a span of time as someone who played in all three of the seventies, eighties, and nineties? The different mm-hmm. question. Just the first tap. Tweeddale, the first kick up towards Hunter. Turn the half forward, tripped over. Well, Fletcher went in. Oh, Dittrich using his uh, elbows behind play, picked up by Barker. In towards Hunt, can't get it. The mark is being paid. So my opening question was, 
Who did you recognise when you looked at the team sheets? Because mine were like, oh, father, son, ding, ding. Is Could Eston be renamed the Nepotism Bombers? Because <laughs> I feel like everyone who plays the modern day Bombers, just their dad played for Essendon. The, but the best thing about this is when you listen to the commentary, Shane Hurd has nothing to do with James Hurd. Yeah. <laughs> Their names are spelled completely differently because I went then and was like, AFL Tables, I know he's spelled like H-E-A-R-D. Yeah. But then there's like Terry Danaher, um, Jack Majacek, who's Brody Majacek's father. Yeah, plays a kind of that sort of counts, yeah. It, but, yeah. And then obviously Fletcher. Mm. It was Yeah, there was a bit of that going on. And the Danahers in particular are kind of the ongoing because Neil, I think, was at Essendon at this point but was injured. Um, it might have even been captain. He was captain of Essendon at some point and then got injured and actually didn't do a lot, yeah. uh, play a lot of games as captain. But um, there's a bit of that about the Bombers. Mm, quite a lot. And then a side bottom out there as well, which is just... Is that the same side bottom? No. no. But, then, but I found like a really AFL record deep dive on still side bottoms family and where they the AFL historian went back and found and traced his move to Australia and then found out that his name actually should have been Langford... So Sidebottom was actually his like great 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 grandmother's name. Oh. I didn't have enough time. When I say it was a historical deep dive, it was like a yeah. proper which I can't remember who wrote it. Like hats off to them for doing that research because they then told Steele and he was like, What? <laughs> so again, he wouldn't know if it wasn't for the AFL record, but there's no link between the sidebottom in this game and Steele himself. <laughs> the Saints off to a great start. A goal in the first minute of play. We talked then about why did you choose this. Mm. So the thing that really stick, stuck out was like, these two sides weren't that good. Neither well, of them made finals. Yes, but they, they were good at the time. No, so they were. Like, on, on that exact yeah. weekend, they were two like hotly... That was a hotly anticipated game in the middle of winter, which is a reason... And I know, I know this is not the reason why you chose it, but this is the best... Like example of nostalgic deep winter football. It's Adam Moravin, which is going to be a pain in the ass to get to back in 1978. It was wet. It was muddy. It was cold. Like everyone there, it was either bald, had a mullet, or a mustache. Like it, it was, was Trevor Barker. It was classic. <laughs> it was classic. Just middle of winter. What are you doing this afternoon? It's a Saturday. I suppose we're going to the footy. Footy. There were two things that stood out about the small ground. First one was umbrellas at the footy. What? How did no one get their eye poked out? I reckon they would have had massive biffs. Like, I'd be biffing. Could everyone... you just imagine, like, an angry granny just, like, whacking someone with, with, the, with her umbrella out in the outer after St Kilda Lutes? <laughs> so Luckily, was... they won this game. But... Yeah, there was that. And then the other one was the Nepean Highway End. Mm. I was like, oh, my... Because having been born in Frankston, we spent... Quite a few hours on the Nepean before they built Eastlink. Also odd though that it's called the Nepean Highway End because although like that is the end closest to the Nepean Highway, there's a lot of stuff between that end, like where the oval finishes, and to get to the Nepean Highway. It's about a kilometre walk. So nothing of more note there. I don't know who was commentating, and I wasn't able to find out. On it doesn't tell you on the KO mm. replay, and I wasn't able to find out by googling, so I don't actually know. We'll get to the commentary in a minute because it was flat out weird. So following on from something Tony said to us last week, something he wrote in the book, in the 70s we didn't really have the modern ideals of TV camera work. That are, so when you watch 89, 
it's filmed not dis- it's close enough to being filmed like a game that would be filmed today mm. that it's not like oh my god what the fuck am I watching whereas this there were times where the camera would just straight out lose the ball and so how much difference does it make to the watcher when you go back because you know, part of me at the time when I was watching this was like can they maybe just get the cameras right there was part of me I would watch it and it would be odd and it would lag and all that kind of stuff and you'd be like this is a bit dumb but then there was also a bit where for some reason they cross to the sideline and they get the angle that like a, a now modern day sideline photographer would take. Mm. And it would get just two people competing for the ball and then a packed Moorabbin like hill. And you'd be like, oh, that's giving me some nostalgic fields. Like pointless for the sake of commentary, like for the sake of commentary or the sake of live television, but just really nice to like freeze frame and be like, that's a lovely image. That's not the point of like live TV broadcasting, but it was quite nice. And so obviously they were just like, we've got a big high camera, one at each end, and then we've got a couple of guys on the sidelines, but like literally their cameras are on the ground. Mm. And it's like, that's pretty impressive for 1978, but it was very weird like where you would, where you would change from where the ball would drop out for a bit to like, yeah, this is, this is very... Old. And away go the Saints up towards Young at full forward. Does it beautifully. Hand pass to Tweed Dale. He lines up in the forward pocket and he's missed. Grand final atmosphere here at Moorabbin um, this afternoon. So kill the 1 1 and the Dons 1 behind. So, talking about the coverage on this, why is the commentary so upbeat? So, I had a few kind of just weird examples of this. Someone kicked it out on the full having a shot, having like a king down a wing. And then the next comment was, oh, he's kicked that out on the forward. Jesus, he's having a great game. Like, Van der Haar kicks a point and the commentary was, it's a behind, but the effort was there. When have we ever lauded someone for their goal-kicking effort following on from all earlier conversations? And also, hilariously enough, when uh, Rexy Hunt kicks a behind in the first quarter, he gets lambasted for it as well. So I feel like there's there a lot more bias in... Footy commentary back in the day as well. I like, and they roasted Tim Watson. So at one point he f- he falls over. Oh gee, that Tim Watson, he just falls over a lot, doesn't he? I'm like, and I'm like, you haven't thrown a knife at anyone all day. How great's this? How good's footy? How good's this? This is a great game. What a great game. My what favorite part was there was constant reference uh, to oh, just the kick passing today has been fantastic. And that every time they said that, they would turn the ball over by foot. <laughs> And there would be, I think there was like every second kick in like the second and third quarter was a turnover by foot. It was, this was not good football. No, the kick skills were atrocious. Everything about this football game was bad. Bad suburban amateur football. You went out to a field that the centre square was just mud. That was my favourite. The only thing good about this game was the umpiring and not the decision-making, but the centre umpire's ability to bounce that ball up straight for three quarters in what they described as a glue pot. He was just like, no, that's muddy as as fuck. I don't don't, don't care. Boof, straight up in the air. Next time we have the debate Ruckman, Ruckman, jog in, get lost in the quagmire of the quicksand. They can't even tap the ball, but that ball goes up perfectly straight. Next and then everything the... is just like they get, someone gets the ball, they just kick it in whatever direction as far as possible it's and fun. they chase after it and it's just hilarious. Oh, next time we have a debate in footy about whether we should ditch the bounce, I hope the AFL just picks this game and shows it to all their modern umpires 
goes. It's like, it's not no, hard. It's no. not that hard. If this guy can do it. <laughs> this guy bounced until literally the ball was brown. The only time he stopped yeah. bouncing was when was the when mud you, got wet again. Yeah. And, and then no he one, had to throw it up because yeah. the mud was wet. But yeah. when the mud was dry and not remotely even... <laughs> he was just like, nah, this is my spot. I'm trying to think of something Oof. equivalently hard. Like, he may as well have been bouncing the fucking ball on the side of a hill. Mm. Like, it was... I'm trying to think of something that's particularly uneven. But, like, it was insane. Mm. It wasn't. It was genuinely insane. It's Bromberg. Hunch, half volley. Up in the air, who to? A throw. Throws free kick at centre half back. It may have been, I couldn't dispute that. So, umpire again. There were so many free kicks in this game. That's what I found very odd. Because this game, like, all the reports for it, the only reportage for this game is about how, like, thuggish and aggressive it was. Yes, there were three acts of, like... There were were three crimes. There were three federally committed crimes against humans in this game. (laughs) And then there was just a lot of soft free kicks. There were so many soft free kicks. all of the crimes went unpunished. Like, they were just like, oh, yep, yep, that guy's dead. You, that man is a dead man. Nothing. Pl- play went on. The, the umpire called, I'll have it in for a ball up, thank you very much, bounced the ball next dead man, and everyone just played on around him. It was so weird. But then, like, pushing the, little push in the back falls over. Like, little, little nudge on the side falls over. Like, for, for footballers who were touted as being the from worst the tough one, era... The worst one was in St. Killer's back pocket, went to pick up the ball, could see the guy coming to run up at him, handballs along the ground in front of himself to collect it in the front, gets tackled, gets caught for holding the man out of the ball. Yeah. And I was like, two men have died today and a trainer is on the ground dying as well. And you're going to call that for like too much contact. Like, that's just bizarre. It was... And then the other one that got me was there was a few... There was like three or four marks paid where it was like the under nines, where if you get two hands to it, you get paid the mark. He did not control that ball for more than 0.0001 wet, seconds. Wet footy, though. Wet footy allowance. <sighs> but, but genuinely, for blokes who were supposedly from the toughest era, mm. there was a lot of staging. Mm, a lot. Like, if you had modern television running the rigor... Like, footy classified would have gone to town on but pretty imagine, much everyone. Just imagine... So maybe footy wasn't tougher in the 70s. Maybe it got tougher in the 80s. Because the Hawthorne and Geelong teams that we watched last week would have actually murdered people on this field. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're doing multiple deaths. Side bottom coming in. Oh, he charges. He could be reported by Empire Delry. So he's wrist. He has been reported. Side bottom has been reported. Deliberate charge... Signals umpire Della side bottom can't believe his luck. And the advantage free kick going up to Vanderhoe and play goes on. And away goes Marsh around the member side wing. Dummies around Cunningham, he's in trouble. Gets it away. Trevor in towards Burnett and the Dons are burning. A great game so far. Essendon player still out to it. Burnett's kick in towards the pocket. It's a floater. It's a great goal. Essendon second. Incredible passage of football after that uh, report. Side bottom has been reported, and Essendon wasting no trouble at all, no time at all, getting the ball away, and this player is going to be taken off on a stretcher. They're calling for a stretcher, so uh, the report certainly at this stage would be well founded by umpire Bill Della. 
Well, I certainly hope, Jeff, that the game continues uh, in the way it's gone in the first 10 minutes with great football and the players don't take this incident to heart. That player's knocked out. He's out cold. And then the weird part is when Terry Cahill gets, like, KO'd and they're plowing around him, then it takes forever for the stretcher out. Then they faff about with the stretcher and then they jog him off. The only thing the commentators say was, it's been such a great game so far. I hope nothing this gets into the, into the players' heads. We hope they continue on in the same excellent fashion. And they don't put a neck... The other thing that got me was the manner of stretching him off. It's very ad hoc. He's like lying sideways on the stretcher. There's no neck brace. Yeah, he's lying sideways. There's no neck <laughs> I'm brace. Like, wow, modern the, medicine is good. Yes, the post-match, the post-match report is that his tongue is down his throat. I'm just like, oh, good, great. He's literally in fetal position on the stretcher. I'm so glad he survived. Otherwise, we could not be chucking. Yeah, yeah. But like, I was that struck me. But you're right about the commentary because when you watch this game, there are three isolated incidents of violence which stand out. But until you go back and read... I didn't think of this as a violent game no, until I went and yeah. read the match report. And I was like, oh, part of the reason this is remembered is because Bloke's yeah. not KO'd. Like, when you watch it, you're like... I also want to know, one, I felt there was a point where flying the flag became a bit more popular because when all these acts of violence happened, no one retaliated. Whereas in the, in the 80s... Like that Hawthorne team, if someone got KO'd, then boom, everyone's in. Everyone's given a biff and bump. Like there was a Meyercheck coat hanger just for no reason. He went in for a tackle and then halfway through ta- like attempting to tackle, he was like, no, it'd be more fun if I just coat hang the guy on the head. Did that. Guy gets KO'd. He gets cops four weeks for it. But no one retires. No one comes up and pushes and No one says, you can't do that to our teammate. Everyone just goes, oh, that's footy. That makes sense. Jogs off to go get the ball later. It is extremely strange. Yeah. Because... I would almost go so far as to say that I reckon those Hawthorne teams invented flying flag. Mm. Like, I don't know that as a fact, but my gut feel is that the change that we've kind of witnessed between this game and then is very, yeah, clear. But in a a few ways, like, I find... So there's a really good edition of... It was Freedom in a Cage when Bob was still doing his Bulldogs podcast with Addy Brown. And they were talking about the day that Tony Liberatore belted Matthew Knight's. Mm. And I never remember my, I can never remember my dad being as angry as he was this day coming home from the football. And they spoke, they got Bob and Richo together and it was like Bob's third game. And the only person that saw it was Wayne Campbell. But pretty much everyone on the ground looked at the situation and went, Matthew Knight's is bleeding from every part of his head that can spit blood. Libba's there? Everyone seems to be mad at Libba. Pretty clear that Libba just belted him. Mm. And Bob's like, kind of like, I don't know if I was flying the flag because like, Libba just belted him. Like, what's there to fly the flag about? Like, I understand why Richmond were flying the flag, but when you're the bloke that just, like, one of your teammates just runs around and yeah. po- poleaxes someone. Like, cheers, Libba. Like, thanks. So, again, I still, like, that idea is still flawed. It's clearly now a part of footy because that day in particular, there's a mass brawl. I don't think Bob was anywhere near it. But Classic Bob. <laughs> But like, it is a strange idea. Mm. But then it does make sense because there at least is like some consequence for killing someone. Whereas this game, you would be scared to go near the ball. Or you'd just be scared to be on the field. Because you're just like, for some, I mean, for some reason, it seems to be every 20 minutes, someone attempts to kill someone. <laughs> and then everyone just goes back to playing football. 
And it's, it's for no reason. There was it's no random, like, isn't it? There was no niggle. Yeah. There was no like. There was, there was no rivalry really. There was nothing. And then just out of the blue, oh, it's the thirteenth minute of the second quarter. Time to kill someone. Boom. Coat hanger. Like. But it's interesting thinking about last week where the the acts of violence were targeted. Mm. So there was. It was. I was am, like I am Yates, and I'm going to run off the line, and I'm going to hit Demi as hard as I can before he hit someone. Before else. he hit someone else, and then it's Ablett going. Hey, Couchy, if you get a tagger, bring yeah. him down my way and I'll sort him out. Yeah. Derm doing the same when yeah. Platten had a tag. Yeah. And I'm looking at that and there's there's no calculation. Like the 89, to, I'll give them one thing. They were smart about who they decided to hit. This, they were smart like gangsters are smart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was like underbelly vibes, yeah. right? Well, they, they were just all, there was just yeah. 22, <laughs> 22 sets of hitmen. We didn't get and to you this. you got to get your hitmen yeah. before they get you. Like we didn't get to this, but Dipper... Was it Dipper or was it Garriers? Had a moment where he could have cleaned up Ablett and he tried and he missed. Mm. And Ablett just bounces up. But everything in that game, it's like they are not trying to knock out Mickey Mouse on the back flank. Mm. Like, no one was trying to knock out Andy Collins, little Andy Collins. Like, anyway, but this is just random. This is just like, I'm just going to go down the street and, you know, punch the the seventh person in the head. It is so random. It is so uncalculated. So whatever. You, okay, you're there. Bang. Bye. Yeah. Odd. Jeff, uh, one of the trainers, the killer trainers, has collapsed in the coach's bench and has just been taken from the ground on the stretcher. Back to the football. Now, we've mentioned this in your intro. With about 10 minutes to go, a trainer has a heart attack on the sidelines. And the commentators kind of just go, oh, we can see that a trainer has collapsed. He's been taken down to the rooms. And then, like, the play just goes on. And then, like, two minutes later, it's like, they don't say, oh, we've taken the... I can never say defibrillator, 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 defibrillator. They're like, oh, they've taken the machine down to him. The heart machine, they call it. The heart machine. That must be, maybe they couldn't say defibrillator (laughs) either. They took down the iron lung just in case. (laughs) Like, what happened? I lived. How did you find that out? Uh, It was in, it was in a report about Cahill, actually. So it was a, it was a a Courier Mail article about Cahill. The Courier, like the Brisbane Courier Mail? Yeah. What? Because I think Terry Cahill was living in, in Brisbane when he interviewed at the time. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and just saying, like, about his career, because ironically, even though he died that day with his tongue down his throat, he, his career was actually ended by ankles. He just had bad ankles. But the trainer survived. But, yeah, so on that day, I'm remembered for the day that I got KO'd and this trainer went downstairs. Luckily, both of us survived. And had a defibrillator. Oh, so clearly the defibrillator worked. Mm. Because I was like, you're just glossing over that? People are just running onto the field. We haven't stopped the game. And someone's just for the second time today. But why would you stop the game? It's just the trainer. I'm not going uh, to like... He's not on the ground. Like, they bounced the ball next to a dead person who was playing the game. I'm not going to stop the game for a trainer who's not even on the field. There were so many... Oh, Just the 70s. Green. Green's long kick. Dittrich. is not Carl's forte. Rain sweeping across the ground now will make that ball very slippery. Secura leading by 10 points. 12 minutes into the last quarter as he kicks for goal. The wind's got hold of it. It drops short. Or did it? It's through. So on the actual footy, did you have a moment of the match? 
Not in particular. It wasn't that good of a game to have like a properly great moment. There were they were few and far between. Carl Didrich, who was the wrecker on this particular day, mm. who nearly put Cahill in to death, really, mm. <laughs> into a worse place. Um, what was he doing with his headband? Well, well, he his headband is the, the moment of the day. You've written in the notes that he's been Kung Fu Carl, and that was obviously his mentality. He put on his Kung Fu bandana and was like, I'm going to just kick the shit out of people. But it is literally... So he, I've, the reason I had this actually wasn't got the headband, it was because he kicks the sealer yeah. in the last quarter. But, like... If you wore that headband today, it's like a Rafa Nadal. That's the best reference. No, you'll be fine today. Today? You'll be totally fine. It is a Rafa Nadal tennis headband. Yeah, we have guys wearing like shoestring headbands in their hair. I these would days. rather the shoestring. Because the shoestring, you can almost not notice. Mm. Unless you're like their direct opponent. Yeah. And then I imagine Chinese whispers and word gets around pretty quick. But like, it's a literally a kung fu tie up at the back headband. I don't mind it. Kung fu by nature, kung fu by fashion. Did you have an anti-moment? I think we got the same anti-moment. And this, the quality of this game and the quality of all the individuals play is summed up by what can only be described as a reverse Falcon. <laughs> Nothing describes the chaos of this game better than a player getting hit in the back of the head because someone has just shoved the ball on the boot and you're running in the wrong direction. <gasps> yeah. It was Stephen Robbins. He's running, the, he's running with his back to the footy, but on the wing, 40 metres ahead of the ball. So, yeah. like, pure, like, turn around and, like, lead up or, yeah. like, get into the contest. And he's running the wrong way. And it literally just... I'm amazed this hasn't been picked up on Bounce or a Fox footy show because it's probably... I don't think I've seen a better Falcon. You won't. You can't. It's, it's the unknowing Falcon. It's just he like, thinks he's not even anywhere near the plane. It's just like, and someone goes, "Oh yeah, he's going to turn around any second now." Boof, and then just bang, straight in the back. Of Where the head. did he think he like what? I want to. I actually want to interview him about this Falcon. Like, what was he doing? Where was he going? He's tall. Turn it's, around. It's, it's the classic. Marcus. It's the classic type, like classic like hockey thing of like tell the winger to run to the post, and all they do is like as soon as we get the ball, they run to the post, and they're never aware of like if the pass comes to them. So bizarre. Yeah, it's gold though, mm. and because he doesn't even turn around that quickly once he gets hit. Like he actually almost like, do you realise that that was the ball, mate? Like, yeah, it's almost like he thinks it was a pigeon. Foles kicks it outside bottom, and Hunt get in there. Hunt uh, had his hands on it long enough. That mark number five to uh, Rex Hunt. Five marks in the first quarter. Beautiful football, and not a bad pass either. So Rex Hunt had a stellar first half. Watching Rex Hunt play football is awesome. I was he's like, actually really good. Oh, Rex! It's one. He's one of those people, maybe a bit like Richie Benno in cricket, but probably even less like, actually, probably more like Bill Laurie, to the point where like people have forgotten that he was actually a damn good player. Nah, he wasn't that good though. Bill Laurie. No, was Rex Hunt. Good. Oh, Rex Hunt. No, he wasn't Bill Laurie good. But like, I'm trying and he to definitely think wasn't of a, Richie Benno good either. I'm trying to think of like a comparison. Michael Slater. <laughs> wow Sorry Rex um, Yeah I enjoyed watching Rex Yeah He was definitely my cameo performance I have no idea So by half time he has had 11 disposals 6 marks Kicked 3 goals 1 Taken off the field Why? I still don't know I, I don't know I don't know He had he's, He was tallying up everyone And then just got taken off He's comfortably the best 
He's well, best on at half time. The best, the, like the first quarter was basically just the commentators going, oh, someone got killed. Rex. Someone got killed. Rex. Someone got killed. Rex. Yeah. For a quarter. Yeah. I also just enjoyed the, the stash. It was a weird get up. And again, like he has the weird balding with the quiff. It's very strange, but very Rex. It's good to know that Rex looked the way Rex looks since he was 18. Yeah, unlike someone like Billy Brown this, who's, who's like, how are you the same bloke? No, you can see that progression. Though. And that's it. A rip-roaring match at St Kilda with the Saints hanging on to win after a great challenge by Eston. They've won by a goal. So the final one, we may have already dealt with this. Was this even a good game? No. Hmm. No. Not in any stretch of the imagination was this a good game. The only reason why it's even memorable, on a, on a, if you look at it on paper, 17-11, 16-11, you go, oh, great game. Like, scoring. All this is going on. Best on ground in this game is the ump for bouncing that ball in the middle of that mud patch. And the other thing is... And actually, I'll give you my actual best ons. So, I loved that ump. A+. Plus. A packed Moorabbin just gave me the feels. The pa- oh, it's worth watching just to see... A packed out Marabin Oval. Marabin, yeah. Especially Marabin, though. Mm. There's something very strange. Like, you'll never see that ever again. Mm. Or potentially we will during the coronavirus series. Yeah, but with no people. But with no people. So that was just, like, where are they coming from? Did that mean people live in Marabin Park? Like, like, are they coming from all over Melbourne? Are they coming Mm. from Essendon? Like, where are they coming from? Mm. What's going on? Very strange. Loved it. Trigger figure, goal umpire. The goal, ump- like the goal signaling you get in modern day football, is very homogenous. Everyone does it the same way. This umpire had like the boom, like the double barrel, like. And some and- of them just don't give a fuck. They're just like, <laughs> yeah. it's a goal. And some laid back. Yeah. So uh, the umps, goal umps, love them. The reference to the glue pot, just the fact that there was a big muddy square. That's when you know it's old football. That's when you know the game's gonna be bad, but I don't care. Um, and then just the fact that everyone looked like they were from Middle Earth. In terms of being a great game as well, St Kilda should have won by 30 plus. Yeah. There's a late, it's not really close. There's a late comeback. St Kilda, sorry, the Dons only get back within six points because they kick a goal after the siren. Yeah. So it's like, it's a two goal buffer mm. at the siren. And then if they actually kick straight, they just win by more. Yeah. Which is a bit St Kilda anyway. But I kind of felt. They did kick relatively straight though. 17 11 is pretty straight. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so what this game did do for me was we had a kind of a hypothesis that was given to us last week that the 80s had the same attacking impetus as the 70s, but they were higher skilled. And to me, this game just confirmed. Off a sample size of one. Off a sample size of one 1970s (laughs) game of football. One 1970s game of football. We can do the classic millennial move and declare... We have worked for The 70s as rubbish, yes. Well... No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested now to go back later in the year when we do watch the 70 grand final as our 50th anniversary of the 70th grand final and to compare that to the 89 granny and to compare that to modern football. Yeah. That is probably a better test case because, again, here we're not... We're comparing this to the 89 games we've talked about. We're not using the two best teams to do that. No, like we were. we've taken a random 1978 so, game and compared it to the two best games in the semi-professional era. Teams that finished 6th and 10th. Mm. So neither of them made finals. From here, they just went progressively downhill. Yeah. yeah. So take from that what you will, but yeah. No, the 70s were jumping. 
Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts about whether or not footy was better back in the good old days. Drop us a line on the Sporting Chance magazine's Facebook page or on Twitter via at SC underscore MAG underscore AUS. Yeah.